question to ask ourselves. And then, you know, I've always added to it through the years and added a part on the end of that, that, that asked the question, and would you attend it? If everybody in the church was just like you, you know, not just what kind of church would your church be, but would you even attend it? And I think most of us, you know, unless you are suffering from narcissism, um, you'd probably go, probably not, you know, not, wouldn't be that attractive. So what makes it attractive is the, the fact that there's other people there that have gifts that are so different and so unique. It's kind of like marriage in and of itself that, you know, our spouses are so, it's not like kind, it was that... Uh, they're opposite of us uh, and, and so different in so many ways is what makes that uh, them attractive. And it's really true about the body of Christ. And uh, again, like I said, if you answer that question honestly, it really proves out the need that we have for spiritual gifts and our need for one another. And here in Romans chapter 12, you know, as I shared with you, Paul, he, he lists seven gifts. They're not exhaustive here. They're, they're specific, but not exhaustive. And they're, they're to help us. And that's really the most important thing as we get into this. Uh, to help us understand, you know, how each of us uh, can play a role and serve in the body of Christ, because that's what the gifts are for. The gifts aren't for ourselves. Our gifts are really for one another. It, it's giving the gift away. It's like it's been well said that, you know, love isn't love until we give it away. And, you know, we see that personified in Jesus, you know, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have ever lasting life. And so, again, as we look at these gifts, um, it's not that people go, oh, I want this gift. You know, I want it for myself. It, it's not for ourselves. It's so that we can serve and that we can uh, bring wholeness, you could say, to the body of Christ. And like I said, it's not enough to just have the gift, but to have that gift and to use it uh, to expand God's kingdom and to be part of his his cause and his call. You know, there's there's four um, lists I shared with you last week, and I think what we'll do is we'll read those here this morning. If you have a Bible handy, first let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll end up in Romans chapter 12, but we'll read the, the list. I won't go through all that they entail, but I want you to understand, you know, that as you're reading the Bible and as you're seeking God and asking him, you know, God, what are my gifts? What is the gift that you have given me? As I shared with you, you know, that, that get these gifts that Paul is talking about are spiritual gifts. They're not human abilities per se, but they're gifts that have come from God himself that he's endowed us with. Uh, every believer has one. There's no such thing as an ungifted uh, believer. Uh, we can definitely not use our gifts, but we definitely have the gift. And, and as I shared with you, Paul would write, you know, that uh, the gifts and the calling of God, that they're without reproach. And so just because people go, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And you go, you know, it's not true. Um, God doesn't take his gifts back. It's just we miss out on the opportunities to really, as Jesus said, he said, I've come to give life and give life to the fullest. Is that you just won't enjoy life to the fullest. It has nothing to do with your salvation. People want to connect, you know, using our gifts with our salvation or not. You know, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works which any man can boast. But the gifts that God has given us is what, you know, makes life worth living, you might say. It's what should give you a reason to get, get up every day. And people can, you know, you know and I, I've shared this many times, you know, you can, you can get involved with all kinds of activities that will, for a season of life, will satisfy you. But it can't satisfy you completely. You know, it's the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, answers that for us. 
You know, as Solomon set out to find out, is there, is there life under the sun? You know, I just taught that a couple of weeks ago in men's Bible study. And, you know, the, the you know, spelling of that is S-U-N, is there life under the sun? But really the implication of the book wasn't, is there life under the sun? It was, is there life, you know, apart from the sun, S-O-N, you might say. Is there life or is there real life apart from God? And I think all of us that are here this morning would say, no. You know, we, we were we were looking, you know, in all the wrong places, you know, as I shared, for all the right things. And the world just doesn't provide it. And so as you study these gifts, know that, you know, you possess at least one of them, if not more. And, and those gifts are vital. Now, God doesn't need the gift. You know, like I said, God is immutable. But we need the gift. That's why God created the church. It's, you know, no man's an island, you know, that... Uh, again, but when we put all the gifts together, you know, we have a, a better composite of who Jesus is. And it doesn't mean the size of the church because, you know, I could ask it to you this way. Would you rather attend a church of 2,000 where 100 people exercise the gifts uh, that God has given them? Or would you rather attend a church of 100 where everybody exercises their gifts? And, you know, and I think the answer is pretty, pretty safe is that we want to be in a place where everybody is participating you know, most of us in, grew up in the business world. You understand it's called the Pareto principle, that 80% of the, of the work is done by 20% of the people, uh, per se. And that's probably true in the body of Christ as well. And why, you know, like in a church our size, it can be a dangerous thing. And it impacts us in a negative way. It's either you have to, if you study church growth at all, um, when you hit certain numbers in a church, the safest number to be at in the life of a church is a thousand. And there's a reason for a thousand and you probably could guess it, right? And then the reason that it's a thousand is it allows for autonomy. You can come to church and just sit in a service and then just kind of go out the back door when the service is over, right? And if the church is bigger than that, you actually, it even makes it more autonomous. But the smaller the church is, guess what? Well, people go, I don't like to go to a small church because everybody knows your business, right? You know, and you go, and that's true. And there's business for everybody. That's the other side of it. Then they go, yeah, they, they're always asking for help. They're always asking for, you know, people to get involved. And you go, we shouldn't have to ask at all. If you really think about it with regard to why the church exists, right? We're here to serve God. We're here to recognize, you know, that, that we belong to God, that our life is a gift from God and it's to be lived for his glory. And yet, you know, we've made church in America, and I won't say the church, you know, around the world, because I've had the privilege to visit churches in, on other continents, and they're not the same. You know, they don't approach church the same way that we do. You know, for us, it's, you know, we've, we've with, because of television, and it really is because of television, that we've had to turn church almost into an infomercial. You know, we have to have it in 22 minutes or less, basically, not here, but, you know, predominant, I mean, I could say in maybe the predominant mega churches that exist in this country. It's, they go, well, the people, they just, they won't listen any more than that. And that's probably true. If, if, and this, there's a big if there, if television is what dominates your life, because that's part of what Paul is talking about. Don't be conformed to this world, right? Don't let the world, and it's sad because churches are playing right into it. They go, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Well, what is it telling you? You know, that you can't handle more than 22 minutes. So, you know, if you're in a church service that goes longer than that, you need to find a new church. And can you imagine sitting under the teaching of someone like Charles Spurgeon? You ever read any of Charles Spurgeon's sermons? I mean, just reading it, right? 
you know, and, and you look at the thing, I like on the front of it now because when I do most things electronically and it'll tell you, uh, takes 45 minutes to read the sermon. I go, to read it? Just, just to read the sermon, 45 minutes. And they go, yeah, and that doesn't count pauses. That didn't have other stories, things that was just contextual. And I was like, wow, I wonder how many people would attend Charles Spurgeon's church today. You, know, you think about that and you go, probably not a whole lot. Like, well, that was just that era. And you go, no, no, it has nothing to do with the era. It's what the people were committed to at that time. If you looked back in the Middle Ages, you know, you know what the number one pastime of people were around the world? What do you think the number one pastime of people around the world was during the Middle Ages? What would you say? I'm kind of deaf, so you got to yell it. Reading the Bible. Where would you say that ranks today? Do you think that would be high on the list? Probably not, huh? You know, and they go, well, that was just the time. And you go, no, they had other things that they could do. It was just important. You know, we, we all find time for what's important, right? I mean, in all seriousness, you know, we do. But let's look at this together. In Ephesians chapter 4, pick it up in verse 11. And like I said, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a list nonetheless. It's, you know, it's what we find in Scripture with regard to spiritual gifts. And I'm reading from the NLT. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, okay, so apostles, the prophets, prophets, the evangelists, the evangelists, and then the pastors. So we have pastors and teachers, says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all do what? It says, come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I mean, it's so self-explanatory, isn't it? It doesn't even need a whole lot of, of explanation with that. You know, we're here to grow in the knowledge of Jesus and what his call is upon our lives today. You know, what is the plan? What is the purpose of God for today? How should we you know, respond to God? How should we treat one another? Those in the church and those outside the church. I mean, it's all there in scripture, right? And so we're constantly doing what? Not allowing, as Paul said, don't let the world squeeze you in. It's a great, great definition of that. Don't, don't, do not be conformed to this world because it's trying every day, but refuse to, do, to go along. And I, one of my favorite pastors, he said, you know, even toilet can go downstream or excuse me, toilet paper can go downstream. And, and it's not necessarily a really pretty analogy. And he goes, but you know, as the church, we're not called to go downstream. He said, we're, we're called to, to go upstream and, and to go against the flow. And that really is so true in our lives. First Corinthians Chapter 12, turn there real quick with me, and we'll read another passage, actually two separate portions of text here that talk about spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, it says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Okay, so does that help answer the question, why do we have people, what do we need spiritual gifts for? And you go, so we can help each other. It says, to one, the, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice, to another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives great faith uh, to another. And to someone else, the one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. 
Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and the only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So again, when you, you read the text, you know, the plain text, and you accept the plain reading of that text, you go, now whether I have those gifts or not isn't the issue. It's, is, does God provide those gifts? And, and you go, we read that in scripture, and there's nothing that would allude to, you know, those gifts ever uh, coming to a completion or to an end. Um, there's really two schools of thought, you know, we can get into, you know, um, one being a a cessationist, somebody that believes that the, 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 the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, uh, at least certain gifts, we call those the sign gifts. And then you have people who are uh, continuous, those that believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today. I would fall into that, that latter category. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28 through 30 goes on and it says, here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles, second, our prophets, third, our teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the same power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? And he answers the question here. He says, of course not. We don't have all the gifts. We don't have, we don't, might not have any of these particular gifts, but he says, so you should earnestly what? Desire the most helpful gifts. And there's great argument about that, you know, and usually what I've discovered, you know, in all my years of ministry is that the people who doubt the existence of a gift are people who don't have those gifts. If you have a gift, you don't doubt the existence of it. It's only when you don't have that gift that you, you would ex really, you know, again, question the, the availability of it. And then our text here in Romans chapter 12, uh, it says this in verses six through eight, it says, in his grace, as God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, Speak out as, as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If your gift is giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, then take that responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And so let's take a moment here and pray and ask the, the Lord, uh, of all the things that we could be praying for this time of year and Christmas, all the things that you think you might want or need, uh, there is no greater need than for us to receive the gifts that God has for us. These are the gifts you could say that, that keep on giving, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't, they're not fashionable in the sense they don't go in one year and then out the next. I mean, they're, they're good for all places, for all people and for all time. And that's what I love about spiritual gifts. And Father, we thank you for your word today and just pray that Lord, you would take it and just massage it deep within our heart and our soul. Help us to receive the truth of it. And Lord, the truth that you have for us today, uh, Lord, that we'd have eyes to see, ears to hear, Lord, what your spirit would have. May each of us, uh, Lord, um, comprehend the gifts that you have for us. And Lord, may we exercise those gifts knowing that when we do, 
Lord, that the people around us, Lord, will be strengthened, they'll be encouraged, they'll be built up, that the body of Christ will become whole, become strong. And Lord, of all the things that we, we need today for the church in these days in which we live is for the church to be strong, to know who we are in Christ and to live with boldness and confidence before you and before the world in which we live. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal, Lord, afresh to us what our gifts are and affirm those gifts and Lord, strengthen them within our lives, knowing that the power isn't our own, it comes from you. And uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for not just for saving us, but Lord, for giving us purpose for why we can get up each and every day of our lives. And uh, Lord, to enjoy this life to the fullest as we do. And I thank you for, Lord, this church. I thank you for those that serve so faithfully, Lord, week in, week out. I pray that, God, you would, that you would save more people and that, God, you would equip more people, that, Lord, this church would become stronger. Lord, and, Lord, the call that you've placed upon us in our community and in the world. It's amazing to think, you know, that you had 12 disciples who became apostles and they turned the world upside down. And, and to think of the numbers of people that, that call this place home, Lord, how easy it would be to truly turn this community upside down. Lord, if we just were, as, as I titled this morning's message, uh, uh, all for one and one for all. And so, Lord, have your way, Lord, in each of our lives, God. We love you. We bless you. We praise you today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, again, understanding, you know, the gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, are given to mature the body of Christ and to make us strong so that we can live for God in this world. And so, I think it's pretty safe to say in all of our lives, we go, yeah, I definitely recognize I, I need, you know, to know what my gift is and I need, or gifts are and how I can exercise those gifts because I want to function in the very thing that God created me for, not, you know, to do my own thing. Uh, we all know what it's like to feel empty, to be caught up in the wrong things. That was our whole life, you know, before Christ. Like I said, and you can have, you know, temporal pleasure. You know, the Bible doesn't say that sin isn't pleasurable. It just says it's only pleasurable for a moment. Uh, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end brings forth death. And so to be able to exercise, you know, um, the gifts that God's given us, man, uh, it, it's exciting. You know, in chapter 12, you remember you know, as Romans breaks pretty much into four different categories. You know, we, we think about you know, the, the wrath of God, then we learned about the grace of God, then we learned about the plan of God. And then it ends here from chapter 12 to chapter 16, dealing with the will of God. And it just goes from one thing to the next of, of living in God's will. And so obviously spiritual gifts are part of God's will, um, um, you know, for us to live effectively, you know, in this life. And uh, again, as Paul started the chapter, he said, you know, therefore, we kept going back over that word, therefore, right? And there were, there's four times, and it's, it's so amazing to me that when you, you look at that, that phrase, you know, that Paul uses that in different places, you know, there's only four times. And in, in every time that you see Paul is doing that, he's going, I don't want you to be, then he used the word ignorant. And if you remember, and as I was sharing that with you, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ill-informed. And there, in those four areas, it was, one was, you know, the grace of God, you know, that we wouldn't take advantage of it in Romans chapter five. Uh, also that we uh, understand, you know, God's wrath, you know, and, and 
we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive, you know, together. That's one of the most confusing things, you know, in the body of Christ is how am I supposed to live? You know, as Paul would say, do I keep sinning, you know, that grace would abound? And he said, you know, far be it, you know, no, that grace should change our life. And so Paul was saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of, of God's grace. He goes, I also said in first Thessalonians, he goes, I don't want you to be ignorant of the rapture of the church. He said, you know, to comfort one another, you know, with, with this teaching that Jesus is coming again. And those that have died before us, they're going to be raised, you know, and, and we'll be with them. And, and that was to comfort one another. And Paul said, you know, I don't want you to be, you know, ignorant with regard to uh, spiritual gifts. You know, I was thinking, what do you mean spiritual gifts? It's one of the, the areas where the church is, is definitely not informed properly. It doesn't mean that there's not teaching out there, but it's ill-informed teaching. Now, like I said, there, there's two schools of thought. You know, you're either a cessationist that you just believe that the gifts of the spirit, especially the sign gifts, you know, have, have ceased to exist at the end of the apostolic age. And then you've got those that are, you know, continuous that you read the, the Bible and you go, well, God said it. So they must be there. Whether I see them in my life or I see them in yours isn't the issue. Uh, sometimes, like I said, it's the same way that we, we approach the at least I know for many have uh, the way we approached, you know, our perspective on the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Um, you know, again, that looked at the nation of Israel and didn't see Israel occupying the land, you know, before 1948. And so they believed, you know, that God had basically ceased to, you know, be dealing with the nation of Israel and that he turned his heart towards the church. And so wherever they see the name Israel in the Bible, they now view that as the church. And, and Paul's going, no, 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 no. But that's what happens when you try to look at everything through the lens of, of human history. Because if we did that with regard to spiritual gifts, then, you know, look at the dark ages. I mean, I would say that grace wasn't very prevalent, would you, during the dark ages? You go, but did it cease to exist because from a historical perspective, you know, that it wasn't being implemented? You go, just because if I don't see miracles today, does that mean that God doesn't do miracles? Because he does do miracles. We hear about them, we read about them. But if he doesn't do them in mass or that maybe I've prayed and many people have and prayed and said, Lord, I need a miracle and it didn't come to pass, that then they believe, well, Obviously, God doesn't work that way today. And you go, that's not true. He's sovereign. God just, you know, works within his perfect will. And that sometimes I don't know and understand what that is, just like you don't as well. And so there was things that, you know, like I said, I gave you four key words last week as we dug into this that play a major role in our discovering our gifts. You know, because I'll sit with people and they'll go, I, I, I haven't, I can't find my gift. And, and really, like I said, finding the gift is more about just something you want personally versus understanding what God has for you with regard to the kingdom of heaven and God's will for your life. Because it begins, Paul said, you know, in, in verse one, it started with consecration. If you recall that he said, you know, therefore, therefore, you know, I beseech you brethren by the mercies of God. He's basically said, you know, in light of everything that Jesus has done, that was the fourth, you know, therefore, I don't, I don't want you to be ignorant of, of what God has done in your life. What should you do? And he said, Present your bodies to God. Give, give your life to God. And that's really the question. If you want to experience you know, the gifts of God, you have to give yourself completely to God. And that was the word consecration there, as I shared with you last week, that led to verse 2. And in verse 2, what did we see? You know, we saw that Paul said, don't be conformed to the world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're going to you know, understand you know, God's gifts and is calling upon your life. Your, your mind is going to have to be transformed. It's not going to be thinking the way that we used to think. 
thinking what God would have us think according to his word. And, and those are so important in, in coming to that place where, you know, we open our hearts and our minds to receive all that God does. We give ourselves completely to him. You can see it kind of a marriage of sorts, right? It's what we do on a wedding day. It's what we do when we come to Christ. He's, he's the bridegroom. We're the bride and we give ourselves completely to him. And then it moves to the third you know, word that I shared with you last week that we found in verse three is Paul said, you know, and, he's, and, he, and it's amazing to me that he starts with this. He goes, just whatever you do, you know, don't think more highly of yourself, right? Than you should. And you go, why would that hinder, you know, my ability to find my spiritual gift? And you go, because <laughs> James says, God resists what? The proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride and arrogance, man, those are the things that took down Lucifer that we see. And you go, and if it took him down, it would take us down. And you go, why? Well, look, he was the chief cherubim, right? I mean, the most beautiful of all of creation and, and that pride. And so there, there's a pride that can come with spiritual gifts. I mean, to think about this, to, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I'm God's gift to whatever, right? They go, of course. And, and there's, a, there's a pride that comes with that. But there's a good sense of pride that all of us should be able to have this morning. Knowing this, that if you are in, in Christ today, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, God has gifted you with a spiritual gift from him to you. And so in one sense, you can say, all in all honesty, you are God's gift, you know, and, and then understanding what that gift is. And so you can see where your know, pride would. So Paul says, before we even get to the gifts... Before we even dig into this and we start labeling them and telling you, you know, and identifying them, he said, you need to be careful. Have you given yourself completely to God? Are you having your mind transformed? You know, not any longer being conformed. Are you making an honest evaluation of yourself? Let me ask you this. How many like going to the doctor? Anybody like going to the doctor? Why don't I like going to the doctor? You know, I had to think about this as I was studying this. One of the reasons I don't like, there's a lot of reasons I don't like going to the doctor, but probably the main reason I don't like going to the doctor is because they make honest evaluations. Now I go in there and the first thing I do is I, I step on a scale and the wave goes, Oh, Mr. Ostheimer, you're 10 pounds heavy. Well, it's Christmas time. You know, it's like, okay, it doesn't lie. They don't care, you know, but you're, well, you know, it just makes an honest evaluation based on what, you know, information that they have. Then you sit down and they do what? They take my blood pressure. Oh, your blood pressure is, you know, I don't, I don't want to know that. I mean, I, I kind of want to know that, but I'd really want, do I really want to know that? Oh, and we're looking at your blood work now. Oh, great. Does blood work lie? No. And you go, what is it doing? It's making an honest evaluation of my what? My health. Now I know why I don't like going to the doctor. I go, I don't have to go to the doctor to go, oh, that wasn't healthy. It's kind of why I'm going to the doctor, right? Because I'm not healthy. But I get it. And so I understand exactly what Paul is saying here. It was like, you know, you need to evaluate yourself. You know, you need to do a checkup because checkups are really good. And I would encourage you, if you haven't been to the doctor, go. As much as you might not like it, as much as I don't, you go, is it good? And you go, yes, you can... You can avoid a lot of hurt and heartache in this life. But what happens in my pride? Nah, I don't want them to know. Well, they're going to find out one way or the other. <laughs> I mean, I, I found that out, you know, a couple months ago now, you know. I mean, all it takes is this little gland that you have in your body in the men, a, a prostate, right? And, and it gets inflamed and, and 
you know, unbeknownst to me, but it stops, you know, your urinary tract from functioning, which I really hadn't paid too much attention to, never had an issue or anything, didn't really even know what it was. But, you know, the prostate gland decided that little member of the body that he would just pinch off the urinary gland. And the urinary gland is going, help me, help me. And, and the prostate gland didn't really care. They didn't speak the same language and there was nobody there to interpret, okay? And so what happened? My, my urinary tract then backed up to my kidneys and my kidneys were going, and, and the next thing you know, I have an infection that's going all the way back and it's all the way in my bloodstream. And you go, wow, all because what? One member of my body did what? <laughs> it revolted. <laughs> you know, I mean, and now you understand in one sense, I mean, in the truest, truest, I mean, in all sincerity, why unity is so critical to the body of Christ. Because all it takes is one member, one member of that body that's so intricately designed to go AWOL and everything else is messed up. And, and like I said, in the truest sense, of, so that doesn't put this undue stress, you go, does God need me and does he need you? No, no. But the church needs you. We need you. We can't function at, at optimum. We can't function at complete health. I mean, think about it. Even if the Bible says of one member, one member, because think about it like this. I, I think about this this week. Think of your body for a second. What, what one part of your body would you be willing just to go, you know, okay, Lord, just take that. Just take my kidney. I got two. I don't need two. Just take one. Or, you know, take my gallbladder. Take it out. A finger? I don't need. A hand? I got another one. I mean, seriously, you, mean, you look, start looking at this, right? And you start going, ah, Pinky. No, I kind of want, I like the pinky, you know, I mean, how about your, you know, your, the bottom of your foot, right? I mean, your, the bottom of your foot and your scalp, do they even know each other? I mean, seriously, they've never even met. And if they do, you're in trouble, you know, but I mean, you think about it, you go, but, but they're all parts of the body, parts that are important, you know, to us. And then the last word I left you with last week, the fourth word was aspiration. You know, Paul would write, you know, to the church at Corinth, he said, desire, earnestly desire the best gifts. So when you have done all the things that God's calling us to do here in chapter 12, like I said, that I've given my body to him, I've consecrated myself to God. You know, I'm being transformed by the renewed of my mind. I'm studying the word of God. I'm studying spiritual gifts. I'm studying the life of Christ and what that means, you know, in the world today. And I'm making an honest evaluation of myself, checking, you know, myself, where am I at? What's, what's really going on in my life? You know, am I walking in humility? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then aspiring, am I aspiring? Do I want spiritual gifts? You know, I, seriously, I've talked to people in our church that go, you know, I'm not really interested. I just come, you know, and I go, and they, they, they understand it. They go, I know that I'm saved apart from me exercising my spiritual gift. I just don't want to get involved. Now, do I believe there's a price to pay one day? Absolutely. And the price that we pay is standing before Jesus and seeing his what? His nail-scarred hands. 
the wounds in his feet and his side on his brow. The suffering that he went through that we might live and that we live so short, so short of what God had called us to. Then since I live selfishly, I just live for Mike as opposed to living for God. Because if I'm living for God, then that means I'm living for you and I'm living for other people. You know, love thy neighbor, what? As thyself, yeah. Love God first and then love my neighbor second as we went through the Lord's Prayer. You know, there's no I in the Lord's Prayer. We're, we're praying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is give us, give us. That we're so others focused. And, and we, we know the answer. I mean, you understand now why, you know, when Jesus returns, it says judgment will begin in the house of God. And you go, why? And you go, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. He didn't say the world. He said his people. He said, then would I hear from heaven? Would I heal their land? Because the church was being the church. I mean, what we do in here, the world can't touch in that regard. And if so, if we can't get it right within here, how are we ever going to have any kind of impact upon the world? And you go, we won't. And so it's something, you know, that Paul says, you know, we need to take this to heart because God wants us to make a difference in this world. It's why we're here. It's why we're alive for such a time, you know, as this. And I shared with you, you know, last week that, you know, spiritual gifts weren't given to be an end in themselves, but spiritual gifts were to be a means to the end. You know, one of my favorite pastors, he put it like this. He said, the gifts of the spirit are not the goal. They're the gateway. And it's really true. Given to us so that we can effectively serve one another. And we really, that needs to be, you know, our prayer. God, I want to be effective. And so you look at this. You know, as I shared last week, you know, the danger, you know, when we evaluate ourselves, you know, Paul says, you know, not to think more highly of ourselves. Because unfortunately, there's two groups of people within that. There's the group of people I shared with you that they do. They think more highly of themselves than they should. And then there's the group that thinks too low of themselves. That they say, oh, you know, God can't use me, he won't use me. And both of those are pride issues. It's either the fear of failure, like, oh, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to fail. No, which is pride. Or you go, you know, hey, I've got this, and it's pride. And God resists on both fronts. And so just to be humble before God, and God, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. Just help me to understand, help me to grow. And, and again, not to rely on my own strength, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Gosh, if there's anybody who's misunderstood you know, in the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit and his role in the life of the believer. So it makes sense as to why Paul would say, I don't want you to be ignorant of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to be ignorant of the Holy Spirit. This person, he's a person. He's not a, as the Jehovah Witness would, you know, want to teach, he's not a force field. He's not just a, like a, you know, like he's gasoline. He's the, the power. He, he provides that, but he's a person. And scripture says, you know, that he could be grieved. It says, grieve not the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. You can only grieve a person. You can't grieve an it. And so to recognize, you know, that he's there. And so because of that, you know, we make those honest evaluations, you know, of ourselves. In verses four and five, he says, just as our, our bodies have many parts, he says, and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we belong to each other. You know, and that's where I got the, the expression of the title, all for one and one for all. 
You know, Ephesians 4.15, that says, speaking the truth in love, it says, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I love that. It's just, it's self-explanatory. And the hard part is we just have to go, am I going to accept it? Or just, you know, as people do, and, and they do this with scripture, you know, they'll read, they go, oh, I've read that, but I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't see it that way. Okay. Well, how do you see it? And then they explain something and you go, man, I just can't, I can't get that from that. You know, like I said, there's, there's no I in body. You know, Paul's saying that the body of Christ is made up of many. You know, I like these in statistics, you know, it says if you're the, an average an adult, you know, it's amazing what your body does in just a 24 hour period that your heart beats. Mine doesn't, I, I know this cause it's messed up, but if you, if you have normal heart, it beats about 103,689 times in, in a 24 hour period. Your blood travels 12,000 miles and you take 23,040 breaths, you inhale 438 cubic feet of air. Uh, you eat, on average, 3.5 pounds of food, and you drink 2.9 quarts of liquid, and you lose seven-eighths of a pound of waste. You move 750 muscles, and you exercise 7 million brain cells. Now, that is really debatable, that one. But, <laughs> but you wonder why you're so tired. Man, I was reading that, you go, man. No wonder I'm so tired. But that word function, you know, that we see there, it means that which you do, that which you do. So God has created us to do something, you know, again, not in order to be saved. And this becomes the big argument. Oh, we're saved by grace. Yes. Yes. We're not saved by our works, but what does James tell us? But we're saved unto good works, right? There's something that God has for us and he's gifted us to accomplish that. So again, you know, like I said, you think of your body, you go, so what, what could I do? What could I do without, you know, what, what part of my body could I eliminate today and be okay with it? And you go, none, you know, which demonstrates to us, you know, as Paul uses this metaphor of the body is that we were created to be interdependent, to rely on one another. You know, we're a blend, you might say of unity and diversity, you know, working together as one. Verse six goes on, it says, and in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. That's that the word grace there. You think of um, charis you know, and then the word for gifts, you know, charisma. And it, and it means the, the expression of a supernatural gift that has its origin in God. It comes from God. It originates with him. And so, like I said, the list that Paul gives here, um, it doesn't cover all the gifts, um, it's meant to be more suggestive than it is, like I said, exhaustive. And, and our gifts, they differ from person to person. You, you get a different composite of it. Um, in other words, you know, God's grace, you know, is uh, different from person to person uh, by degree and by portion. Um, so it's not the same for, you know, any two people. It's just like watching, you know, two athletes perform. They can, they can, you know, play golf side by side and their swings different, you know, where the ball goes is different. They could end up with the same score, uh, but their approach was completely different. It's a lot, you know, how spiritual gifts are, you know, but we're responsible to use our gifts and our God, you know, given gifts, you know, as stewards that God's entrusted to us. Like I said, and, and you have to really understand this. There is no such thing 
as an ungifted Christian. No such thing. You have a gift. You might not know what that gift is. And you go, then how do I discover what that gift is? Well, as we started this chapter, give yourself completely to God, right? And, and start having your mind transformed by the very word of God. You'll start studying what spiritual gifts are. Make honest evaluations of yourself. You know, what am I for? What am I against with regard to serving? Being open to what God has for me. You know, trusting God, relying upon him. And then as scripture says, as, you know, aspiring. Have an aspiration for the gifts of God. Desire the greatest gifts. And then watch what God does. And then exercise that faith. Step out. Step out and begin to try. I don't ask people, say, hey, you know, um, what are the gifts that, you know, that, that are needed here? And then pray, you know, because I can ask you this. What is the, what is the best gift when you think about in any given situation? The best gift is the one that's needed. Would you agree? The gift that's needed at that time. And so we should be praying constantly, you know, for the manifestation of those gifts. I, I remember years ago, you know, John MacArthur, who is a cessationist, by the way, shares a story, and it's a great story, um, that uh, on a midweek service, he had a woman come up to him at the end of the service, and she asked for Pastor John to pray for her, and she had a physical ailment. And so John uh, offered to pray for her right then at the end of the service, and he's the one telling this, this story. That's what makes it so fun. And he says, and so I pray for her, and he goes, and she's immediately healed. And he goes, and he's admitted, he goes, for cessation, this is a problem. He goes, because I'm praying this. And he goes, and, and that's one of the things I appreciate about him. He's still a cessationist. But, but he goes, but I can't argue the experience. He goes, but I only, it's like I only had it once. So therefore, I'm not going to teach it, you know, as doctrine. And, uh, but I loved it because of the fact that, is that how God operates? And you go, yeah. He just throws a little kink in your your theology there by what? By showing up and doing something that you said, God would never do that. We always say that, you know, don't ever say what? Never, you know, and, uh, and so for him. So it's, like I said, it's one of the amazing things when there is a need. Uh, I know, you know, in my own life, uh, you know, of praying with people and, and not feeling anything. It's not like a thing you go, you know, right now. I don't know why I get that voice, but it just happens, you know, you go, Right now, if you, you need a healing, you need to come forth because Pastor Mike's hand is hot. It is hot right now. So if you need a healing, you just come up here and let me, you know, let me place my hand on you. Know, but has it happened? And I go, yeah, I've, I've, I've stood, not so much at this one, but when our, our pulpit was on that side, numerous times where somebody would just come forward and go, Pastor Mike, I need prayer, you know, for this physical thing. And I'm going, okay, let's pray, you know. And pray, and, and as soon as I, I and, and their eyes would open, they're looking at me, and I'm looking at them like, I don't know what just happened, but my hand is like hot. I mean, it's just like, I mean, like, like you burnt it, you know, but it's not causing me pain, but I feel the, this radiant heat, and they feel it. And pray, and they go, um, are you okay? And I go, yeah, why? They go, your hand was hot. I go, did you feel that? They go, yeah. I go, I did too. I go, I have no idea. I go, I'm sorry. I, uh, maybe I was nervous. I don't know. You, go, you know, sometimes you sweat. I go, maybe my hand just got hot. I don't, I don't know. And then them come back and go, Pastor Mike, I was, I was healed. Like I said, it hasn't happened a whole bunch of times, but a couple of times. And I had it happen to me. I had a friend of mine, he was serving here with me, Thatcher McRoberts. And we were down in LA and I got the flu. And, uh, or at least I thought it was the flu. 
and I was, we were sleeping on the floor. We went to do some missionary training down in LA. So we were staying in like, it was like a church frat house. It was just this big house that the Assemblies of God owned right by Dodger Stadium. And they would do trainings there and go out into the community and stuff. It was really cool. And um, so we were down there and, and I was laying next to Thatcher on the floor and we were in sleeping bags. And Thatcher, he, I go, man, I, I don't feel good. And he goes, I don't feel good either. And so it's like, you pray for me, I'll pray for you. So he prays for me. And so then I turn over and I put my hand on his back and immediately. So I'm thinking maybe it's just because I'm sick, right? So, so I, I'm praying for him and, and I get them praying and he goes, did you feel your hand? And I go, yeah, I did. And I go, I don't know what. And he goes, Mike, he goes, as soon as you touch me, he goes, whatever it was, he goes, it's gone. And I go, praise God. I go, but that's right. I go, I, I have no, I go, I have no idea. I go, it's just the weirdest thing. I go, and now does it happen every day? And you go, no, maybe three times in my whole life. I go, do, do I sit up here and teach every week? Hey, you guys were praying for hot hands this week. Uh, everybody come forward. You go, I don't know why God did it uh, to this day. I don't know. I just know that there was a manifestation of God's healing in that moment, just as scripture says. Now, does it say anything about having a hand that's hot? And I go, no, it's just how, when it happened, that's exactly what happened. So you just share it, but you go, but who gets the praise and the glory? You go, God does. And you go, that's what we're doing. We're going, God, I trust you. I use the foolish things. I, I'm foolish. I have no idea in the sense what, what is going on, but I trust you enough that your word says that we can do these things and we'll believe you. And if you don't do it, it's only because you have something better because I know, and I, I know this from personal experience. I know it because God's word declares it, that God is good all the time. Amen. And that everything that he does he works together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes he just reveals it right now. And sometimes it's on the, the layaway plan. You know, I, I love, you know, growing up, I tell you that story. You know, my parents bought a refrigerator at Monkey Wards, you know, Montgomery Wards down there on F Street. And we owned that refrigerator. Well, it was on layaway. But we would go in and literally look at our refrigerator because it was ours. It says, proud owners, you know, Clinton, Sharon, Ostheimer, you know, got our 3,500 Redlands Drive. You know, we go over there, mom, dad, it's ours. You go, but it wasn't, but it had a sticker on it because it was, it was being bought. It was being paid for, you know, and, and, I, and to know that, you know, we belong to God and he's placed his seal, you know, upon our lives and, and, and we can rejoice in the fact that, you know, God will, will use us if we, if we'll just trust him and, and again, step out in faith. Um, like I said, as you look at this, um, one of the things that, you know, in verse six, he says, so if God has given you the ability, he said, then here's, here's where it really just lays the gifts out. He says to prophesy, speak out as much faith as God has given you. Now here's the danger in this verse. People will read that and they'll go, oh, but God hasn't given me the faith to do it, so I'm out. Oh, that, that, is not the, that is not the correct interpretation. When it says the faith, it's talking about the faith. The faith is what? Jesus. The faith is what Jesus did. I mean, can you, can you quote you know, what Jesus did? Jesus came. You know, he was born of a virgin, right? That he lived upon this, this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died a vicarious death. He, you know, was buried, you know... Uh, in a tomb, three days later, just as he said, he rose again from the grave. 
Uh, he appeared to you know, 500 people. It says he ascended back. You just go break the New Testament down. That's the faith. What people try to do is go, well, I don't have. You go, no, we don't. I don't have the faith in and of myself. You don't have the faith. Our faith is in God. See, Jesus said with man, what? It's impossible. He said, but with God, what? what? What's possible with God? All things are possible. So that's what he said. You know, you have the faith. That faith, not, like I said, not, not our out where we go, oh, I just don't have the faith. Because we could do that at anything then, right? Oh, God, just today, you know. Honey, why didn't you stop and help those people? Don't have the faith today. <laughs> I mean, we would use that as an out all the time. But prophecy, when you think about it, means foretelling or foretelling. To foretell, that's the one that, you know, we, we think of the most where people go, they tell the future. But really, foretelling, when we see this in the New Testament, it just means to tell the truth. And to tell the, not tell the truth, like, oh, so help me God. It's tell the truth about God. Because there's a cost that comes with that, isn't there? If we tell the truth about God and what God's word said, well, I don't want to say that because they might, you know, not like me or they might not let me hang out here anymore. Or they might not, whatever the thing, you know, might be. So it's not just foretell, but foretell. And again, understanding that, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, 3 says, but one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them and comforts them. So we think about what is prophecy? What is it designed to do? It's designed, Paul says, to strengthen and to encourage and to comfort. You know, it's been well said, a prophet wasn't known primarily for his hindsight or his foresight, but for his insight. This is a person who boldly speaks the message of God without hesitation, without reservation. Verses seven and eight go on. It says, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness, do to others, do it gladly. So when you think serving, you know, ministry, where he says there, it's the supernatural ability of helping the cause of Christ in practical and tangible ways in the lives of other people. Um, I, I like what one pastor said. He said, this person preaches sermons through sweat just simply by serving other people. That, that's, how, that's how they manifest their gift. Teaching, he who teaches, he says, in teaching, that, that gift helps you know, earthly minds, you might say, understand heavenly truths. You know, a good teacher puts, you know, as they say, cookies on the bottom shelf. They make complex truths simple. So, you know, we can all understand them. It's been well said, a teacher's task is to take a room full of live wires and see to it that they're properly grounded for all you electricians. Uh, the gift of exhortation and encouraging, you know, he who exhorts and exhortation, you know, this gift, you know, instructs us, you know, in what to do, you know, you think about that, the gift of teaching, but exhortation encourages us to do it. It's that person who comes along and says, Hey, you know what to do. You know, man, just get in there and do it, do it. It's like a lot of coaching sometimes is exhortation. Um, this person, you know, shows up alongside you, they encourage you, they serve you. Like I said, they, they seek to strengthen you. Uh, Pastor Sandy Adams, he said it like this. He says, I refer to this gift as spiritual jumper cables. It jumps, start, it jump starts brothers or sisters with weak batteries. That's really true. Then giving, you think about giving, you know, who does it liberally. You know, every believer obviously should develop the discipline of giving, you know, a portion that's tithing, 
But this person just has a special knack of just opening up their wallet and just blessing others to further God's work and to bring encouragement to their lives. Leadership, those who lead, lead with diligence. You know, the gift here, you know, is, is spiritual management. It, it doesn't, it's not just, you know, uh, organize, you know, with agony, but to really, but to do it with joy. It's, to, it's, it's really more about strategize. First um, Corinthians 14.40, it says, be sure that everything is done properly and in order. So, you know, we need people in the church who have the gift of leadership to make sure when we're doing things that we do it properly and that we do it in order. And as Paul, you know, talks about that when we do it, it helps people grow. Now, kindness is interesting here because that, that makes sense to all of us, you know, in the sense you go, he shows mercy, you know, do it with cheerfulness. And you think about that. Has someone ever helped you and made you feel terrible when they did it? Yeah, that, that's, that's like, they can, they can be merciful to you, right? But not, but not with cheerfulness. You know, they could be the whole time, like, yeah, I'm going to help you here, but you know, you're so stupid. You know, I mean, you know, what were you thinking? You know, da, 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 da. And you're going, man, I'm glad you're helping me, but man, if this is the price I got to pay every time. And you go, and so when Paul says, now, do people, does the world help people in the world? You go, yes. But here he's talking about a spiritual gift that you help other people, but you do it, and you'll know it's spiritual at this point because they do it with cheerfulness. It's not that they're going, yeah, begrudgingly, right? It's like giving. Yeah, okay, what do you guys need this time? Okay, we'll donate to it. You go, you can just, you can say to that person, hey, thank you, but it's not your gift. You know, we'll accept it, but it's definitely not your gift because you're not even getting anything out of it. And then, you know, and then to be kind to people, but showing kindness, but to do it with gladness. And that's really what Paul's talking about is that when the gift of, of kindness is being exercised, you know, that you do it cheerfully, that you're going, man, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to get to serve this person. Not, you know, oh man, just, you know, what are you doing calling me at, you know, four o'clock in the morning saying you need this? It's like, ah, and you go treat other people what? The way you want to be treated. The golden rule. So how do we know what our gifts are? Like I said, we'll wrap this up. Pray, ask God to show you, study the Bible, study the gifts of the spirit, give yourself completely to God, make yourself available to him, stay humble before God, be teachable, be available. A lot of times, you know, God just uses the people that are what? They're available to him. You know, Paul told the church there in 1 Corinthians 13, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Be looking around, pray and go, hey, um, Where's the gift needed? I, I like this. I remember in teaching on spiritual gifts in a class. Let's imagine for a minute that you've been invited to a Thanksgiving dinner, okay, at someone's house, and they've invited some mutual friends from the church there. So there's seven people seated around the table thinking about the gifts here in, in Romans chapter 7. The hostess carries a tray in to the table full of desserts, but she trips and she falls and she spills all the desserts on the floor, so we can see in this moment, how would people with each of these differing gifts, how would they respond to the same exact situation? That's why there's a difference in gifts. We don't have it. Sometimes we get mad at people because they don't do what we would do. Not realizing that we have different gifts. We have different callings, different manifestations to how they work. So picture this. So seven people seated around the table. The hostess comes in. She drops or he drops, you don't want to put this on any particular person, drops the desserts on the floor. How would the different gifts respond? A person with the gift of prophecy would say, 
This is what happens when you're not careful, okay? A person with the gift of serving would get up and grab some paper towels and say, let me help you clean it up. A person with the gift of teaching would say, accidents happen, but the reason the tray fell was it was too heavy on one side and it was out of balance. A person with the gift of exhortation might say, next time, let's just serve the dessert with the meal to solve the problem. I thought of Lonnie Gonzalez. Lonnie has the gift of exhortation because that's what Lonnie would say. Don't, don't worry about bringing on a separate tray. Just bring it with the meal because Lonnie will eat it first. A person with the gift of giving would say, I'll be happy to run to the store and buy a new dessert. And a gift, the person with the gift of mercy would say, don't feel bad. That could happen to anybody. And then, <laughs> but as I was just sharing with you, someone who has the gift of, uh, uh, of helping, you know, but they're not really merciful and they lack the kindness. They're not doing it gladly. They would say the same thing. They would say, don't feel bad. That could happen to anybody, but it always happens to you. That, that, that's how, that's how they would still help, but you know, and then the last one, you know, seven, um, and a person with the gift of leading would say, okay, let's just not sit here and looking around, you know, Jim, you get a mop, you know, with those paper towels, please. Sue, uh, can you help clean up and Mary, go ahead and, and go to the store and get that new dessert. You know, it's a, all the gifts in just kind of a cute way. They, they're all accomplishing really the ultimate, the same thing, but they're doing it in a different way. It's a diversity of gift, but united in purpose. And it's, it's an amazing thing when God, you know, is functioning through a church. It fulfills, you know, Jesus' call. You know, John 17, he said, Father, what he said, I would pray that you would make them one as you and I are one. You know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you know, three distinct personalities, one Godhead, functioning perfectly together. And oh, how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. Amen. And oftentimes what we find in the church, the reason that we're not functioning in unity is because we're simply not functioning within our giftedness. I mean, you might, it's not rocket science. It's really that simple. We're frustrated because we're doing something that we're not gifted or called to do. And it's frustrating us. It's frustrating, you know, for the other people, but man, to find that gift and to find that calling that comes from God and then to begin to exercise that, there is nothing as satisfying. There's nothing else on this, this planet that is as satisfying as that. And so, again, don't, don't rest. You know, if you, you know, don't know what your gifts are, you know, plug in to what the Holy Spirit has for you. You know, like I said, just, you can start afresh today. Just go, God, I give myself completely to you. I don't know what my gift is, but I want to know. And I'm going to just get into the word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to transform my mind. And Lord, just keep me humble because I know, I know who I am. And uh, Lord, I don't want to think too high of myself. I don't want to think too low of myself. You know, and then just help me begin to look at what's needed around and then aspire for the greatest gifts. And then step out in faith and watch what God does in your midst. He will affirm those things that he's called you to and he'll make it clear. You know, it's that old expression when God closes a door, what does he do? He opens a window and he'll direct you and he'll lead you to where he wants you to go. You know, he's not your enemy. He loves you and he gave you gifts to glorify him and to bring out the best in each of our lives as well. And so pray for the church and, and who's the church? It's me, it's you, you know, pray for one another. We'll do that today as we close. Would you stand to your feet with me? And as the worship team comes out and we'll close in prayer.
send you on your way. And, and again, you can help us today with Together We Can. That, that's on campus today from 1 to 2. You can use your electronic device and just push that out and just say, hey, if you're hungry. And again, there's the gift of helps right there that everybody can participate in. You go just, and if you're in need of food, need of help today, you know, stop by 6501 uh, uh, Wally Shirah. That's how I have to remember, Shirah Court. Wally Shirah. 1 to 2 o'clock. We'll be here to help. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the church, Lord, today. It's, it's just an exciting day in the world in which we live to be part of the body of Christ. And I thank you as just looking out and I see so many, Lord, I, I know their gifts and I see them walking within their gifts and I see the joy in their life and the joy that their life brings to other people. That, that's what happens when you're functioning within your giftedness. There's just a, an enthusiasm. We talk about that word enthusiasm to be in theos to be in god and and lord there's no greater enthusiasm that we can enjoy in this life than to have our lives in you and so lord equip us and, and show us reveal lord we, we need more and more gifts each and every day this world in which we live needs so much and we thank you lord that your your answer lord is the church that you you want to move in and through the church to to make jesus known to manifest him just the same way that you were born into this world, that the, the Spirit of God took on human flesh. The, the way that the Spirit of God takes on human flesh in that sense today is through the local church. And so, Lord, regardless of what people say, that, all oh, the church isn't important today, Lord, you, you chose the church, Lord, to be the means by which you would reveal yourself in the world. We can't do it alone. It would, just, it would kill us. It would wear us out. But, Lord, oh, to understand and know, Lord, to really be a people, as we titled the message today, to be uh, one for all and all for one. And so, Lord, help us to, to do our part as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.